I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. A-Rod and I host a show called The Deal, and it's all about the intersection of sports, business, and culture. Recently, we got to sit down with Stephen H. to talk about something a little different for him, his business. If I had to crystallize where business came to the forefront of my mind was when I got fired in 2009. There's a difference between making money and learning business. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. First things first, this is about truth-telling. I have no agenda. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey! Here I come. You can book it. Ah! This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> I usually try to wait until Fridays to really point out a bunch of BS, but sometimes it's necessary to do so earlier in the week. This is one of those times. The Stephen A. Smith Show in the house now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. As you know, it's no longer called No Mercy. I changed the name a little over a week ago to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Why? Because I'm Stephen A. That's why. And I'm entitled to do so. It is my name. I own it. I operate it. This is what I'm going to do. Thank you so much for tuning in. I got a lot of stuff to get into, a lot of stuff that I want to get into, but I don't have too much time because I got to find a, I got to catch a flight to Denver, Colorado for the NBA finals. As usual, I'm coming from you right here in our studios. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith show and the Stephen A. Smith podcast. Let me get right to it. Um, I got Michael Jordan on my mind. I got Scottie Pippen on my mind. Before I get into any of that, because that ain't the only thing I'm going to get into. That's, only, that's not the only thing I'm going to get into. And while we're thinking about this and we know I'm going to get into Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and all of that stuff in just a second. I was under a rock, y'all. I've had about two days off in the last 70. So when I was gone on Memorial Day, I went under a rock. I didn't watch sports. I didn't 
look for sports. I didn't search sports from Sunday night to Tuesday. I didn't even know what the hell Scottie Pippen had said, to be honest with you. It's one of the rare moments in my life I was living under a rock because, damn it, I needed a reprieve. I needed a break. Okay, but when I came up for air and I reemerged on the sports scene and beyond and I heard the stuff that Scottie Pippen said, oh, trust you me, I got something to say about that. And I'll get to that in just a second. Just like I'm going to get I want y'all to contemplate something and I want y'all to look up something for me as well. At some point in time. I'm going to get into the issue of diversity, equity and inclusion, DEI. It's something that's very, very popular. In the world today, particularly in the world of corporate America, I want somebody to define what that means to you, because I'm going to tell you what it means to me. And I'll get into that a little bit later on the show. But before again, I get into Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and the blasphemy. That I heard. The blasphemy. That I witnessed. The blasphemy. That should be blasphemous to anybody who knows anything about sports. I'm going to divert my attention away for a second just to give props to my buddy, the now former president of basketball operations for the Golden State Warriors, Mr. Bob Myers, who announced yesterday that he was stepping away from the Golden State Warriors as his president of basketball operations. He did not draft Steph Curry. He did not draft Klay Thompson. And we do understand that. And he wasn't the individual that hired Mark Jackson. If I remember correctly, I know he fired Mark Jackson. The organization fired Mark Jackson. But the bottom line is this. Bob Myers is a brilliant basketball mind. A very accomplished executive. And an even better person. I wish him nothing but the best. His ideal job would have been to have the Lakers job, but Rob Palenka saved his job by pulling off draft day deals that ultimately led to them acquiring Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards about a week before the trading deadline. And then obviously a day before the trading deadline reached D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt all came to the Los Angeles Lakers. Out went Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, and a couple of other folks. And the next thing you know, the Lakers are in the conference finals before getting swept by the Denver Nuggets. That is the only reason, in my estimation, that Rob Palenka is still there, and he deserves to be. He deserves to keep his job. But he would have lost his job if those deals hadn't happened and the Lakers had missed the playoffs, and then Bob Myers would have been in a position to become the Lakers' head man. And I think that would have been his dream job. Having said all of that, the bottom line is he's going to be a coveted man. He's going to be a coveted man in the world of television and broadcasting because he can talk basketball and he's going to be a coveted individual as an executive because the Clippers should want him because he's somebody that they can't ignore. Although they've got a first class organization, they just got two stars who are perpetually injured. Steve Ballmer's a billionaire. He's got the deep pockets to lure Bob Myers away and Bob Myers would love to be in Southern California. He's a UCLA product. He loves L.A. This is that's, that's his home. That's where he wants to be. The Phoenix Suns, who knows what they may do now that Matt Ishbia is the new owner. He's already gotten rid of Monty Williams. Who's to say he's going to keep James Jones as his GM? He might bring Bob Myers in to run basketball operations. We don't know. That's possible. It's possible. Kevin Durant is fond of Bob Myers. Devin Booker would learn to be. Then Bob Myers knows the game of basketball. So who knows what lies ahead for him in Phoenix or whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is this. He stole Draymond Green. Draymond Green was a second round pick, like 35th overall, something like that. Bob Myers picked him. 
Bob Myers is the one that grabbed Sean Livingston. Bob Myers is the one that grabbed Andre Iguodala. Bob Myers is the one that assembled a lot of this roster that propelled them to championship heights. We know how great Steph Curry and Klay Thompson is. They're the cornerstones of the franchise. But so is Draymond Green. That was Bob Myers. So let's give him love and respect where it's due. Congratulations to him. To my man, Joe Lakeup, the owner of the Golden State Warriors, who I know personally and have a lot of love for. There's a lot of people screaming about nepotism and stuff like that because his sons, Kirk and Kent, obviously are expected to play a bigger role in basketball operations. Mike Dunleavy Jr. as well. But ladies and gentlemen, you know what the golden rule is. Those who have the gold makes the rules. And if I had two children that wanted to be involved in basketball operations or were knowledgeable enough about basketball operations and spent years learning under the greatness of a Bob Myers, of a Steve Kerr and others. If they end up getting elevated to their position, it just because they happen to be my children doesn't mean they ain't qualified. So we can hate, hate, hate all we want to. But the reality of the situation is that Kirk's been at it for a while. Kent's been running their G League from what I understand. He definitely wants to elevate. In all likelihood, they'll get their chance. Let's see if they can live up to what Bob Myers has done. Let's see if Steve Curl stick around long enough. Let's see how many years Steph Curry still wants to play. Let's see if they're going to re-sign Draymond Green. Let's see if they're going to keep Klay Thompson, who's owed about $43 million next season. Let's see if they're going to trade Jordan Poole, who I think they should consider moving, because I don't know if he's good for the culture. Not after what happened with him and Draymond, not after the attitude that he walked around with all season long, not after the way he pouted in the postseason, which led to him playing like garbage most of the time. Jordan Poole could play. He's no scrub. But there definitely needs to be an attitude readjustment there based off of what we saw in the postseason. You already got rid of Wiseman, who didn't pan out as the number two overall pick a few years back. He also brought Kevon Looney on board. Let's not forget that about Bob Myers. And Looney has proven to be a rebounding juggernaut. Respect the man. He did a hell of a job. Wishing Bob Myers nothing but the best. Now let me get to something far, far more important. I saw what Scottie Pippen had to say. And I have to admit to y'all, I was pretty stunned. I really, really was. Um, Scottie Pippen showed up on a podcast, a podcast of his former teammate, Stacey Kings. And Scottie Pippen got to talking about the great Michael Jordan, a person that I consider to be the greatest who ever lived. Michael Jordan, I want to preface my comments. You know how they put those disclaimers up there and they say, disclaimer, disclaimer, you know, you know, your parental advisories and stuff like that. Let me put this advisory up. Before you listen to what Scottie Pippen had to say about his former teammate, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I'd like to remind you that Michael Jeffrey Jordan is a six time champion. I'd like to remind you that Michael Jordan is a six-time NBA Finals MVP. I'd like to inform you that Michael Jordan is a five-time league MVP, a 10-time scoring champion, a nine-time All-NBA defensive first team member. I'd also like to remind you that Michael Jordan, in his six 
championship appearances, undefeated in those six championship appearances, never once allowed a championship round to reach seven games. He took everybody out in six or less. He took Magic Johnson with Vlade Divac and Eldon Campbell and all of those boys out. He took Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, Kevin Duckworth, Cliff Robinson, and all of those boys in Portland out for his second title. He beat Charles Barkley and the great Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley and those boys in Phoenix for the first three-peat. He retired after that title in 93. He was gone in the 93-94 season. He came back with 17 games left in the 95 season where they ended up losing in the second round to the Orlando Magic. When he had first came back about a week after he returned, after not playing for damn near two years, he dropped a double nickel on my New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. That Michael Jordan. And he came back. And he won titles four, five, and six from 1996 to 1998. He beat Carl Malone and John Stockton and those boys. He beat Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. He beat Carl Malone and John Stockton again. That Michael Jordan. That is the same Michael Jordan that Scottie Pippen said this about. I seen Michael Jordan play before I came to play with the Bulls. You guys seen him play. He was a horrible player. He was horrible to play with. He was all one-on-one. He's shooting bad shots. And all of a sudden, we become a team and we start winning. Everybody forgot who he was. Could y'all do me a favor? I'm looking at my producers here right now. Because I had to stomach that before. I took a little break. And I feel the need to hear that again one more time so I can make sure I hear the words that Scottie Pippen associated with Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Play that again. I seen Michael Jordan play before I came to play with the Bulls. You guys seen him play. He's a horrible player. He was horrible to play with. He was all one-on-one. He's shooting bad shots. And all of a sudden, we become a team and we start winning. Everybody forgot who he was. (sighs) My Lord. Okay. (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to remind you all that Scottie Pippen was picked fifth overall. I think in the 87 draft, if I remember correctly, three years after Michael Jordan was in the league, Scottie Pippen first averaged seven points his first year in the league, 14 points his second year in the league. We all know that Scottie Pippen was a great player. We all know he's one of the greatest players to have ever played the game of basketball. We all know that he's an all-world defensive player and and he's a six-time champion himself. There's nothing to take away from his greatness as a player. But he was second fiddle for a reason. 
because anybody with eyes doesn't even require 2020 vision, by the way, knew that there was Michael Jordan and then there was everybody else. I would like to remind y'all that before Michael Jordan, years before Michael Jordan ever won a title, in 86 and 87, when it was swept in the best of five series by the Boston Celtics, Larry Bird and them, even when he was swept in like 86 and he had dropped 63 in a game at the Boston Garden, the great Larry Bird called Michael Jordan God in gym shorts. God in gym shorts. That's who Scottie Pippen is talking about. That guy. Let me break this down to you from a basketball perspective. These were Michael Jordan's teammates where he first got into the league. I wanted to make sure I look it up because I didn't want to get any names wrong. Uh, his first year in the league, in case you haven't noticed, um, his coach was Kevin Lockery. Kevin Lockery. Okay. Number one. Um, the Chicago Bulls had gone 38 and 44 that first year Michael Jordan was in the league. This is a rookie. It's a rookie year, ladies and gentlemen. This is 1984, okay? Because I want to make sure we, we know this is 1984. 1984-85 season. Michael Jordan is a rookie out of the University of North Carolina. His teammates are Orlando Woldridge, who was not a scrub, Quentin Daly, Dave Corzine, Dave Greenwood, Steve Johnson, a 34-year-old Caldwell Jones, Enos Watley, Wes Matthews, Jawan Oldham, Sidney Green. <clears throat> that was Michael Jordan's team. Michael Jordan averaged 28.2 points a game as a rookie. I want to take it a step further, okay, because some of y'all forget sometimes. If you recall, Michael Jordan had only played 18 games the following season, which was 85-86, and he had only started seven games because he had, met, he had a messed up foot. And he, was, he had been operated on, and he had missed all of those games. And Jerry Krause, the then GM, um, who was a great executive, by the way, had insisted that Michael Jordan not play and did everything he could to prevent Michael Jordan from returning to the basketball court essentially implying you will do what the hell you're told to do, which Michael Jordan was incredibly resistant to. That season, Michael Jordan averaged 22.7 a game in 18 games that he played due to the injury. From that point forward, I'm looking at my producers in here. I'm looking at all of y'all in here. I want everybody to pay attention to what I'm saying. This is Michael Jeffrey Jordan that we're talking about here. This was Michael Jordan's scoring averages on a minimum of 48% shooting from the field over the course of the next seven years. 37, 35, 32 32.6, 31.5, 30.1, 32.6. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about Air Jordan. We're talking about a dude that took the NBA into a stratosphere that is appropriately described as global, if not out of world, otherworldly. There's no dream team in Barcelona without Jordan. The NBA, as great as it was with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird being promoted extensively by the NBA, they altered their marketing plans because Nike had Jordan. And everybody wanted to see Jordan. Jordan was damn near as big as Michael Jackson. That's who Scottie Pippen just said was a horrible player. 
Now, one could easily deduce what Scottie Pippen said and simply ask a very rhetorical question. If Jordan was horrible, what the hell did that make you? But that would be disrespectful to Scottie Pippen. And Scottie Pippen doesn't deserve that. But you know what Scottie Pippen deserves? He deserves to hear the truth. Somebody has to tell him. Several truths come to mind. Number one, you are not one. I have too much respect to, for Scottie Pippen to categorize him in this fashion. But how you sound on this particular footage of you talking about Michael Jordan, you sound like a damn fool. You sound like an ignorant dude that don't know the game. We know better than that. We know how brilliant you are at knowing the game, Scottie Pippen. We know how knowledgeable you are. So it only brings two other things to mind about you, bro. Envy and bitterness. Those are the two things. Let's count the ways. Number one, you weren't Michael Jordan. First of all, you knew that. You knew it when he left the game. You knew it when you would wear Jordan sneakers when you were on the court and you would kick your feet up for the cameras to see what you clamoring for Michael Jordan to come back. You didn't hate him then. You didn't hate him when you needed him. Was it Jordan's fault in 1994 when you were going up against the Knicks in the Eastern Conference semifinals and it was game three and you refused to enter a game because Phil Jackson called the last play for Tony Kukoc instead of you? And Bill Cartwright, the veteran center, Bill Cartwright, there was a former Nick that got traded to the Chicago Bulls and the Charles Oakley deal years earlier that he was sitting on the bench scolding you while the cameras were rolling. Wasn't it Bill Cartwright who was reduced to tears in the aftermath of Tony Kukoc hitting the game winning shot that Phil Jackson had called for him against the New York Knicks in that game three? Wasn't it Bill Cartwright that was reduced to tears because he looked you dead in your face in front of the whole team and talked about you quit on them and you let him down? Wasn't that you? Did Michael Jordan, was he at fault for that? Can anybody on this planet have ever imagined Michael Jordan refusing to enter the game because a final shot wasn't called for him? You know why you can't imagine that? Because Michael Jordan would have had the final shot called for him. And you know what Michael Jordan would have done? He would have kicked it to John Paxson or he would have kicked it to Steve Kerr or he would have kicked it to B.J. Armstrong or Craig Hodges before them. I understand that there's a whole bunch of bitterness going on about Michael Jordan. I get all of that. Because Michael Jordan's clearly received entirely too much of the shine in some of his teammates' eyes. I've heard other teammates talking about him. But it amazes me how everybody want to engage in revisionist history and talk about him now. Well, why did you talk about him when he was popular? Why did you talk about him when y'all were playing him with him? Why did you talk about him when he was on the court averaging over 30, busting people's ass night in, night out, intimidating folks in ways LeBron James never has? And it's not to throw shade on LeBron James. I'm just saying, Michael Jordan was different. How come you didn't talk about him then? How come you didn't talk about him when he was in your face as your teammate, helping you become a champion six times over? How come that didn't happen then? If somebody like Craig Hodges wants to be bitter about Michael Jordan, I'm down with that. Because I don't know the details. And even if I did, I wouldn't tell you without their permission as it pertains to Craig Hodges and Michael Jordan. But I will tell you this about Craig Hodges. He's a deep brother. He's a special man. And boy, was he a long range sniper. He was something special. He really, really was. 
And that brother deserved to be a champion. He deserved to be on the Bulls roster for years to come. He deserved to be honored. So if there's any bitterness about him, I'm cool with it. If it's coming from him, I'm cool with it. But you, Scotty Pippen, you, you. You had an opportunity to win without Jordan. You didn't do it. You know, you probably bitter about that money that you didn't get from Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls, who implored you to your face. Do not sign this deal. This is not a good deal for you. I know the guaranteed money looks good right now, but it'll be a better deal for you in a year or two from now. And you wanted the money now. And so you took it when he advised you not to. And Jordan advised you not to, but you still signed the deal. And then ended up bitter because they wouldn't restructure your deal. And to some degree held that against Jordan. Did you hate him when he had the flu or was poisoned by some pizza delivered to his room or whatever it was against Utah in the finals? And he still went out there and dropped about 38. And when he hit the game winning shot, came back to the bench and walking back, practically collapsed in your arms. You had to hold him up because he was so sick. But you needed him to take that shot, didn't you? How about when your back gave out? We ain't bringing up the migraine in 88 when you couldn't go into game seven against Detroit. We ain't even bringing that up. When Jordan was reduced to tears because the championship kept evading him and he was crying in the arms of his father on the team bus because somehow, somewhere, yet again, you couldn't show up. There was an intestinal fortitude that you had when y'all were winning championships, but that had to be cultivated and developed over the years because earlier on in your career, Scotty Pippen, you didn't have it. He had it. And he had to carry the load and carry you. And look at how your game evolved. And look at how elite you became as a, as a defensive player, as a ball handler, as a playmaker. Your game, to some degree, looked like it mirrored Jordan half the time. You were clearly learning from him, but now we want to forget that. Now we want to forget that, Scotty. And why are we doing that? Because your feelings are hurt about the last dance. Because Jordan had editorial control, according to you. Because, because he had editorial control and he highlighted the portions of how you didn't want to sign for the money and you was end up bitter because you didn't get your contract or he, he wanted to sit up there and, 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 and highlighted how you quit on your team. You want to hold that against him. Scottie Pippen, don't hold it against Jordan. Hold it against broadcast journalism. Hold it against television. Hold it against executives, great executives at the time, like Connor Shell, who's only now got his own production company and doing great things, who's my former boss at ESPN, and by the way, a great guy. Hold it against people like him for knowing television. And knowing what the hell people want to see. We respect all the great players on the Chicago Bulls. It starts with Scottie Pippen. Stacey King did his job. Bill Wennington did his job. Luke Longley did his job. Bill Cartwright did his job. Horace Grant did his job. Dennis Rodman damn sure did his job. B.J. Armstrong did his job. Greg Hodges did his job. John Paxson did his job. Steve Kerr did his job. 
The list goes on and on and on for Bulls teammates that did their damn jobs. Phil Jackson, six championships. They never won until they got Phil Jackson as the head coach. They never won until Dex Tex Winter introduced that triangle offense. They never won before that. Man, love and respect, no doubt. But we don't care. Even during the pandemic, when no sports was going on, there is no way in hell that the kind of views that you saw for the last dance would have happened if it did not feature Michael Jordan. We would not have cared. He's the greatest. We saw it with our own two eyes. You were great, Scotty. And even with greatness, even with your greatness, you were not in his class. It was good television that was provided to a starving audience in desperate need of riveting content with no sports being played due to the pandemic. And there's no way in hell we were interested in the last dance if the last dance was about Michael Jordan, but everybody else equally. It had to evolve around him. So he told his story. He talked about how you were going to walk out the door and you were going to leave. He had to bring up why that was because of what transpired early in your career as a Chicago Bulls. Whether it was not entering the game or it was signing a bad contract. He had to do that. He had to highlight the things about Horace Grant. He had to highlight things about others. That's what made the story. You're telling a story. Are you that mad, Scotty? Is it personal? Is it just about basketball? Is it about the son dating the ex-wife? I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying you wearing your bitterness on your sleeve for a reason. It ain't cool. It ain't right. It's beyond wrong. And whether you like it or not, it's total betrayal. You're taking shots at Michael Jordan at every turn. Was he supposed to give you a job? Was he supposed to make sure there was money in your pocket? Did he not come to you with a Nike deal that he wanted you to sign to ensure that you would continue to get paid and you pass that up? It's Stephen A. You told you listening to, baby. You know that's a rhetorical question. You know I know the answer. Come on, man. You need to chill with all that. You're 57 years old. You're 57. Tomorrow ain't promised to none of us. Michael Jordan doesn't deserve that from you. He has never failed to say he would have never won anything without you. He has never failed to say that you're the greatest teammate he has ever had. He has never failed to acknowledge his appreciation for what we all know to be your greatness as an iconic NBA talent. You don't have to sink to these lows, bro. You really should be ashamed of yourself. Still trying to sell a book? Still? Y'all talking to a bestseller? I would know something about selling books. New York Times bestseller, nine weeks. I'd know something about it. 
Straight Shooter, Memoirs, Second Chances, and First Takes. I wrote a book, too. I ain't do nothing like that. Come on, bro. Come on. Before I take a break, let me transition. Josh Hart of the New York Knicks. You know, there's no reason to talk about a Knicks basketball player at this particular moment in time because they're relevant. The NBA Finals are coming on, and for the latest time, they're not involved. Knicks haven't been in an NBA Finals since 2000. Haven't won a championship since 1973. By the time I, I, by the way, I was six years old at that, five years old at that particular moment in time. It's 50 years ago. Um, We understand. But this is a funny thing to bring up about the New York Knicks and Josh Hart, because I don't know if y'all have heard the news about him. But um, Josh Hart sent out some kind of tweet or whatever asking folks if we'd ever taste breast milk. Breast milk. That's what he said. Now, I've never been inclined to taste breast milk. I like breast. You don't have to be a baby to like breast. Matter of fact, one could easily argue there are adults who like breast more than babies. However, breast milk is a different matter. He asked that question. I'm like, I mean, damn, damn, Josh. What the hell? And then I started laughing. Because I thought about a clip from Dave Chappelle that I thought was hysterical from years ago. And that made me chuckle. Watch this, y'all. Y'all got to walk uptown to the Bronx and get breast milk from a Cambodian immigrant. I only drink the finest breast milks. Go out there and milk Cambodian. One hundred percent Cambodian. It's the real shit. Breast milk, you made my day. That was Josh Smith of the New York Knicks. No wonder why Jalen Brunson said, "Lose the number, lose the number," because of the wild stuff he brings up and the wild questions he asks. Josh Hart is a weird one. But he is somebody I hope remains a New York Nick. I like his effort. I like his feistiness. He was an added, not a minus. I like that. Some other foolish stuff to get into of a slightly more serious nature when I return. You're listening to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Don't touch that dial. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Transitioning to a far more serious uh, subject matter. You know, <clears throat> there's a few things that's been going on in our society uh, lately. Um, we've had Bud Light involved in controversy a couple of months ago. We've had uh, some tampon commercial, excuse me, that including uh, that included folks from the uh, transgender community. Um, and now, as of late, it's uh, Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A 
hired an officer for this diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So why am I bringing this up? Because to me, to me, ladies and gentlemen, these outcries breaking out over DEI. What I want to say about that is that I hope y'all can appreciate that black folks feel a bit differently about this than most people might. Now, I don't speak for everybody. Everybody got their own thoughts. I'm just deducing based off of logic. That black folks think a little bit differently than most of you folks about this stuff. And I think it's time that we have a discussion about it because certain things are things that I just think need to be said. First of all, I am a proponent of DEI programs. I am not against it. I think it's something that is necessary in this day and age to have in every company in corporate America. I think diversity, equity, and inclusion is incredibly pivotal to promoting and provoking peace amongst us all in our society. I always, I'm, not an, I'm not resistant to it. I'm not in opposition of it. And I find it hard to imagine any black person would be. And I'll explain why in a second. But when I think about some of the things that have transpired over the year, it throws me for a loop. For example, I remember in 2012 reading from something here. Issues arose between Chick-fil-A and the LGBTQIA plus community. By the way, those letters are getting very, very long. I'm just saying I'm a supporter of it, but the letters are getting very, very long. Everybody doesn't remember. I can remember off the top of my head. LGBTQIA plus. I can remember it. But there's a lot of people out there that be like LGBT. They don't even remember the letters. So I just want to throw that out there. That's number one. But number two, getting directly to Chick-fil-A. Remember in 2012, Dan T. Kathy, the International Fast Food Restaurant's chief executive officer, made a series of public comments opposing same-sex marriage. This followed reports that Chick-fil-A's charitable endeavor, the Windshake Foundation, had donated millions of dollars to organizations seen by LGBT activists as hostile to their rights. Activists called for protests and boycotts while supporters of the restaurant chain and opponents of same-sex marriage ate there in support of the restaurant. So there was a division there. There was a divide. National political figures, both for and against the action, spoke out and some business partners severed ties with the chain. Remember that? We fast forward to now. Now they hiring officers to head their diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. That's what they're doing. And because they're doing stuff like that, how times have changed. People are adapting to the times that we're living in. They're saying, wait a damn minute. We've got to be a bit more receptive. That's what we're saying here. And I'm going to read from this. I like putting on my glasses, even though I can read without them. I read better with them. Chick-fil-A, the chicken sandwich chain. This is from the New York Post in yesterday's paper. Chick-fil-A, the chicken sandwich chain long beloved by conservatives for its longstanding opposition to same-sex marriage, is sparking boycott calls after announcing that it has hired an executive in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The Atlanta-based company named Eric McReynolds to the post of VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion two years ago. But social media users took note of it in recent days, igniting angry denunciations on Twitter from conservatives who allege that the firm has gone, quote, woke. First of all, understand that the man was hired two years ago. 
So the fact that you're making noise now, it doesn't escape me that we've got an election campaign anyway that's going that's that's in route. Trump's already announced he's running. DeSantis already announced he's running. Nikki Haley's running. Chris Christie's expected to announce in a week or so. Mike Pence, former vice president, is expected to announce. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are expected to run again. GOP got about seven different candidates. All the Democrats have is Biden. Who's going to be 82 years old at the time of Election Day. Now, you can sit up there and act like you don't notice that the furor over this coincides with an election campaign. You can bring up Chick-fil-A. You can also bring up Bud Light. Because if you remember the whole controversy they got themselves embroiled in and reading from this again, because you got to remember, remember this whole thing with Dylan Mulvaney, who was transitioning into womanhood and how Bud Light decided to support her Reading again from an article in the New York Post, some corporations have to show how woke marketing could cost an iconic American brand daily in terms of its image, its sales and its market capitalization. Through its special beer can produced for trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney, Anheuser-Busch, in effect, volunteered for duty. And basically by putting her on the cover of cans on cans, their business dropped 17 percent while their competitors like Coors Light. And Miller Lite, each grew 17%. So we could get into all of that and we could get into the notion or the reality that involving yourself in political affairs could potentially cost you as a company. Now, I know some people sit here and they look at me and they say, who the hell are you to talk? Because you work for Walt Disney and look what they're embroiled in in Florida. We could talk about that another day. But for those who would make that argument, I can't summarily dismiss it. I'll say that much. Not when layoffs have occurred in the aftermath of it all. Not when we've lost five and a half billion dollars. Not when COVID cost Disney at the parks and at movie theaters. We could bring up all of that. But if you want to bring up something like this as costing them, knock yourself out. I'm not going to argue with you about that. It's clearly as it clearly as cost Anheuser-Busch, which, by the way, has 100 different companies, by the way. You might think you're not drinking Anheuser-Busch, but chances are you might be doing so without even knowing it. That is not my point about bringing up diversity, equity and inclusion. I'm bringing up diversity, equity, and inclusion because I want to know what the hell it means to y'all. Let me tell you what it means to me. Diversity, having a diverse workforce and a diverse society. Equity, equality for all. Inclusion, being inclusionary in your thinking and your actions. That's what it means to me. You know what it doesn't mean to me? having to like everything that you must accept. See, we got to be grownups here. And I get to say this because I have no problem with the transgender community. I have no problem with the homosexual community. I have no problem with immigrants or immigration or anything like that. I might not be the greatest supporter of open borders, but I'm certainly supportive of immigrants. I'm certainly not supportive of parents being separated from their children. I'm certainly not supportive of seeing people in the street without any place to live or any place to eat. And in the greatest country in the world and the richest country in the world with all the money that we've got to throw around for other issues, 
we could somehow come together in a bipartisan fashion to address the immigration crisis. Because the reason why it's a crisis is because we don't seem to know what the hell we're doing and we don't have order. If we have order, people will be invited in. The process could be expedited. It could be resolved if we were committed to doing so. Immigrants have helped build this country. Immigrants have helped build this country. I'm not against that. You homosexual, it's your damn business. I have a right to not want to be a part of it. I don't want to be come on to by a homosexual. I don't want somebody thinking I'm one because I'm not. But I don't have any problem with somebody who is. Same thing applies to a transgender individual. Got no problem with that. But if our laws and our actions as a society is supportive of that from a legal perspective and from a civil liberties perspective, and you're left alone to live your life while others are living theirs, that to me is diversity, equity, and inclusion. You don't have to necessarily want to be entrenched in it. I like having a healthy sex life. I don't, I'm not someone that's particularly interested in prostitutes or porn stars. I ain't say they can't do what they're doing. I ain't say they can't live their lives. I'm just saying I don't flow like that. It's not a problem. They live. They let me live. We go on our merry way. We seem to be living in a society where people are acting like you are, you're supposed to be forced to embrace with enthusiasm and fervor and, and, and jovialness and, 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 and euphoria what you're not familiar with or what you might not necessarily want to vibe with. And I'm saying that shouldn't be the mandate. Live and let live. Make sure our laws and our society and our decorum and our behavior involves diversity, equity, and inclusion. Equal opportunities for everybody. Equal civil liberties for everybody. That's it. It just seems to me sometimes that we're on this mission for, for, for to, you know, to be so receptive that we got to show that we like things. It may not be our cup of tea. That's not a crime. And the reason I bring that up and it's so important to me is because as a black man. When have we not been fighting for diversity, equity and inclusion? Nobody cared about whether we liked it or not. There isn't anything that you can bring up right now that hasn't involved black people. You want to bring up an immigration crisis? We've had to deal with that as black people. You want to bring up a, a, a diversity and inclusionary process and equality process? It's involved black people. Homophobia, trans, transphobia, all of these other issues, misogynistic tendencies and all of this other stuff geared towards women, everything. Black folks have had to deal with everything. Yet racism is on the bottom end of the totem pole. I could easily argue that concerns for black issues pale dramatically in comparison to some of the stuff we talk about in this day and age. The only time it has mattered in recent memory is when the whole social justice movement was taking place after the George Floyd murder and they were protesting the streets. Outside of that. I'm not going to be 
it's irresponsible to say that issues pertaining to black people don't matter. But I will say once upon a time, it was in first place. Now we're struggling for fifth. Immigration, homophobia, transphobia. You can bring up all of that. That is a fact. So when I hear about diversity, equity, inclusion, and I see these programs, it amazes me that this is what we're talking about now. This is the same society lamenting. You had a whole bunch of people lamenting affirmative action. But what we're talking about now seems to me like folks are demanding what black folks have been demanding for centuries. It's just that folks have caught up. And now our society is allowing them to usurp issues that pertain to black people. Why? Because in the transgender and the gay community and involving immigration as well, I guess one could easily argue those issues involve people of color as well. So because of it, black folks are not being ignored. My response would be simple. You could look at it that way. But who's been ostracized and marginalized and oppressed simply because of the color of their skin? I don't know anybody that could say that other than black people. But that's just me. Back with one more segment to close out the show in a minute. It's Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? We're getting to a point where we're actually losing credibility to argue or discuss a lot of different issues. And the reason why is because if you prove to be a society that doesn't know how to act over the simplest things, over things that are supposed to garner the most peace and tranquility, what faith should anybody have to even find you as somebody they can even be able to talk to? These are legitimate questions, and I'll tell you why. Because you know it's bad when you have a situation where the Little Mermaid is out. The movie, The Little Mermaid. And you got folks messing up the damn movie for kids because they in the movie theater fighting. That's what happened in a recent, in recent days rather, when some folks took their kids to watch The Little Mermaid with a black girl being The Little Mermaid. Remember that uproar because, oh my goodness, why change anything? Why does The Little Mermaid have to be black? Didn't stop the movie from succeeding at the box office. On opening weekend, but nevertheless, there were those who took offense to the Little Mermaid and spoke out against it. This was not one of those issues. 
This was just a bunch of fools not knowing how to act. In a movie theater with kids. Check this out, y'all. Look at this. They're in the movie theater, getting up, ready to fight. And if you watch the scene at one point, you're going to see the little mermaid floating by, looking at them like, damn, damn. This is where we are. This is where we are. I mean, we're at a point right now where I'm just thankful it wasn't a shooting. I'm just thankful it wasn't a shooting. Because we know that's happened. Malls, movie theaters, supermarkets. I mean, everywhere. I'm just thankful that the damn, that, 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 that a damn shootout didn't break out with kids around because nobody knows how to act. I should say nobody, but some people. Now, it's the movie theater and it was dark, so I don't know whether it was black folks or not. You know, some people assume they were. I have no clue. White folks act up too. Hispanic folks act up too. But I'm telling you this. You see stuff like that and you just say, damn. Because not even the kids are safe anymore. Safe from avoiding this kind of juvenile nonsense. Committed by adults, by the way. And times are only going to get worse. Because if you don't check this stuff now, you put certain people in office that don't know how to act, that has no regard for decorum and statesmanship, that are devoid of feeling the importance to bring people together instead of dividing us, whoever they may be. Because there's guilt on both sides. Just because somebody is more slick about doing it than the other doesn't make them innocent. Both sides of the aisle do that. It starts with that. Because if you don't get it together, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be a police state. You're going to see more and more and more security propping up. With it, you're going to see more and more and more restrictions that impede on individual rights that we want to believe was ordained to us by the Constitution of this country. And if you're not careful, you're going to have to surmise that we would have brought it on ourselves. Because we don't know how to act. It's just a thought, just something I wanted y'all to think about. I got to get on out of here. I got to head to Denver for the NBA finals. I'll be talking to you again soon. In all likelihood, Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern time, right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Please don't miss it. Make sure you tune in. Make sure you subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith Show as well. Just click that button and press subscribe. Anytime y'all do that, I'm always appreciative of the support. Without me, without y'all, there is no me. I'm not doing this unless I know y'all are watching and listening. I wouldn't waste my time, but our followers, our subscribers continue to grow and grow and grow. And I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You keep coming. I'm going to keep bringing it for as long as you want me to. And in the days to come, I'm going to incorporate calls. I'm going to incorporate video messages. I'm going to incorporate tweets and DMs and all of that stuff because I love communicating with my audience. 
We just working on things technically getting that stuff together so I can engage in that kind of banter back and forth with y'all. So please, the second you get a chance, subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith show. Really, really appreciate your support. I'm very, very thankful for it. And I'll keep them coming as long as you keep asking me to. Until Friday, I'll see y'all then, everybody. I'm heading to the NBA Finals. Peace and love. Take care. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. A-Rod and I host a show called The Deal, and it's all about the intersection of sports, business, and culture. Recently, we got to sit down with Stephen H. Talk about something a little different for him, his business. If I had to crystallize where business came to the forefront of my mind was when I got fired in 2009. There's a difference between making money and learning business. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.